I'm Timothy Putnam, and I'll be your host for the next hour. Each week, we gather right here to explore the foundations of our faith, to look at the implications of our faith and our daily lives, so that together, you and I can prepare to live outside the walls. How are you taking advantage of Lent? Well, this is a time as we prepare ourselves for the joy of Easter, as we prepare ourselves to experience and benefit from Easter, uh, we take a little bit of time to examine our consciences, to look at our lifestyle, and to recognize our weaknesses and our faults and submit those to the loving and merciful hand of God. Uh, This last weekend, uh, I spent about three days out at Clear Creek Monastery in Holbert, Oklahoma, just getting away. I've got seven, seven small children. So as you can imagine, uh, times of quiet reflection don't come naturally. <laughs> so I decided through the, uh, the graciousness of my wife who said, yes, go take a couple of days. Uh, I went out and spent some time in silent contemplation, had a, a really a very productive time. And silence is difficult for us. I, I th- I'm pretty sure we're going to talk about this in a couple of weeks because I think it's very important for us to really examine uh, our relationship with silence. Uh, We like to fill every moment of every day with noise or activity or distraction in such a way that it becomes difficult to hear the promptings of the Holy Spirit. And I found, even as I went out there and spent some time uh, living out those monastic rhythms of praying the Liturgy of the Hours, of going out and working in silence and, and basically immersing myself in silence, it still took me about two days to get my own internal monologue quiet enough to be able to hear anything. And even then, some of what God revealed to me, he revealed to me while I was sleeping uh, because he knew that I, I have difficulty cutting off that internal monologue. And I, I know I'm not alone in that. And so I want to encourage you to, to find some way to enter into a little bit of silence this week. And I've got something that may help you. While I was at the monastery, I surreptitiously recorded some of the the prayers that were chanted and sung by the monks, and I've got those available over on our Patreon page. So if you go to OutsideTheWalls.com, click on that Patreon link that says Patreon Support the Show. I've got three three specific recordings uh, of a couple of the hymns that were sung uh, and also of the entirety of Vespers one evening. And so one of those recordings is free to everybody. Just go over and download it and enjoy it. Uh, and then I've got a couple of other recordings that are reserved for those who support the show, either at the $5 a month level or the $10 a month level, in addition to all the normal rewards that go with that. But regardless, even if you're not able to support the show at this time, I do have uh, one of those beautiful hymns sung by the monastic choir there at Clear Creek uh, available for you to help you calm down and to to focus on Christ and to be in, in a moment of stillness uh, this Lent. And stillness is really a hard thing for us to manage uh, because stillness lets all of those thoughts that we normally push down, it lets them loose, right? We can all of a sudden hear a little bit clearer. And uh, we don't always like what we hear when we're in the middle of silence. We're reminded of our weakness. So silence really is an act of the will, an act of trust in the Holy Spirit. Because silence can be overwhelming. 
if we're frightened of what God is going to reveal to us, if we're frightened of what we'll find when we quit distracting ourselves, then silence can be quite terrifying. But if you and I can place our trust in the mercy of God, even as we're looking to our own weaknesses, trust that God will be merciful to us and, and won't ask of us anything that's impossible or too burdensome, if we can trust that Christ will walk with us as we repent, then all of a sudden silence can become a very peaceful experience. As I was preparing to go out to the monastery, I, I was talking with my wife, and I knew that it was going to take me at least a full day, and it ended up taking about two days, to get to the place where I shut off my inner monologue. Because even, even though you want to go out and you want to hear the voice of God, it takes effort, like concentrated effort, to stop talking internally. You're quiet for a moment, and then your brain kicks up, and you're like, no, I'm not going to do that. Which is one of the reasons that I find the, the rosary so helpful is because as my mind wanders, when I hit that new bead, it reminds me, oh, I'm supposed to be praying right now. And it allows me the opportunity to redirect myself. And so it, it's exhausting to take all that inner monologue and to redirect ourselves towards silence and towards listening for the voice of God. But if we trust that he is merciful, and if we trust that what he wants to ask of us is not too difficult for us, and that he will accompany us in that, then silence is something that is to be cherished. It's to be something that gives us the opportunity to walk with God and for him to walk us into spiritual maturity. And so I pray for you, uh, as, I, as I know you pray for me, that this Lent would be an opportunity not just to examine our souls uh, so that we can see how bad we are or so we can experience our own fallenness, but so that we can, to the extent that we recognize our weakness, experience the fullness and depth of the mercy of Jesus Christ through all that he has given us through his redemptive work on the cross so that we can fully appreciate what he offered us in that sacrifice. For us to be able to appreciate that, we have to know where we were, where we stood with God beforehand. And so as you experience this Lent, as you pursue silence and pursue the voice of God, I pray that you would experience the full measure of Christ's mercy for you. We're talking today with Joe Heschmeyer, one of our favorite guests. He blogs over at Shameless Popery, works with Holy Family School of Faith. You can find that at schooloffaith.com and has a brand new podcast, which uh, we're going to be talking about just a little bit. But as we get into today's show, we're going to be talking about what you and I can learn from the Apostle Judas as we enter into our Lenten observance. Don't go anywhere. It's going to be a fascinating conversation. But join us over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls on Twitter. The handle's at Outside the Walls. And don't forget to visit us over on Patreon, OutsideTheWalls.com. Click that Patreon link. We'll be right back right after this. Hey. 
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the foundations and implications of our faith on daily life. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. And today we're talking with our friend Joe Heschmeyer, been on the show a number of times. You can find all of his episodes by going over to OutsideTheWalls.com and uh, right there in the sidebar. Just scroll down till you find Joe Heschmeyer. Those are really the best episodes anyway. Uh, Joe, how are you doing? Glad to have you on the show today. Great. I'm doing great. I uh, really liked that shout out. <laughs> <laughs> Most welcome. So, uh, Joe, you blog over at shamelesspopery.com. Uh, that's popery as in the Pope, P-O-P-E-R-Y, not the uh, not the small um, scented pine cones that sit in your grandmother's bathroom. Uh, so <laughs> you, you've done that for a number of years. I, I'm curious... When did that start? What, what, this was long before you were a seminarian. This was way back in the day when you were still uh, doing law. What made I'm actually you, a law student at the time? Okay. What, what made you say, "Hey, I've got an idea. I'm going to do a blog on all things apologetics." <laughs> well, I'd been on a retreat, an Opus Dei led silent retreat, and I had some journal notes, and it'd been in, it was kind of the culmination of a real period of deepening my faith. Uh, and when I came back from the treat, retreat, I was so obnoxious. Um, <laughs> I was just like wanting to share all of this stuff with all of my friends who weren't, you know, practicing Catholics or who maybe were Protestant or whatever. And I was like, I just heard this amazing thing about the Eucharist or, I, you know, listen to these biblical passages about the papacy I never knew existed. And people can stand like a couple of those conversations. <laughs> right. But I didn't want to have like a couple of those. I wanted to have like a lot of those conversations. Mm -hmm. But I also didn't want to lose all of my friends. So I thought if I make a little blog, then I can just put this stuff down on paper and they can read it on their own time or they won't feel on the spot. Uh, and then when I run out of things to talk about, I'll, I'll just stop blogging. And, and yet, I haven't really run out of things to talk about yet. Yeah, I was about to say all these years later, you're still posting. Uh, yeah. So, and, and at some point in time, you kind of got labeled as the go-to place for apologetics. There, it's now kind of a viral thing. People are waiting on pins and needles to see when the next shameless popery article. When did that start? When was the first uh, article that you posted that went further than you expected it to? I think it was May of 2011. Um, I couldn't tell you offhand what the actual post was, but there was something that I wrote uh, that got picked up by New Advent. Mm. And there's actually, there's kind of a funny story about it. This is <laughs> kind of ancillary. Uh, so, you know, you have like a, a profile picture you use right. uh, for the blog. And so I put up a profile picture from a trip I'd taken to Ireland. And I liked the picture because I remembered how, how good the experience was. Apparently this picture was so bad that my mom actually called me and asked me to take it down. <laughs> she was embarrassed. <laughs> well, New Advent picks up my piece while that's my profile picture. And so for the next several years, continues to use this picture long after I've stopped using it and removed it from the blog. Uh, this was just like, so it was a double-edged sword where the most people saw of my face was a picture so bad even a mother couldn't love it. Well, you know, it, it's that... As, as God brought you up and, and put you in front of people, he wanted to make sure your ego didn't get inflated. Exactly. So, if, if nothing else, it was a real call to radio. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
So uh, blogging and radio, it's kind of, you know, it's nice and safe and distant from, from uh, the, the leering eyes of cameras. Uh, it's, exactly. why, it's why I do this on the radio. <laughs> so you're expanding now. Uh, of course, now you work at Holy Family School of Faith, which I just absolutely love. I love the work y'all do. Stellar group of people doing this from Mike Shearslick to Dr. Troy Hinkle, who we've had on the show, to, uh, to John Leyendecker, who I'm still trying to get on the show. Uh, John, if you're listening, call me. Uh, <laughs> but uh, this this all star cast of people who are forming uh, those who will form others. The, the, our, our teachers, our uh, our religious education teachers, uh, anybody who really wants to deepen their faith uh, can approach Holy Family School of Faith and, and find just amazingly stellar formation uh, for those who aren't going to seminary. And you can find that over at schooloffaith.com, uh, find out more about them. And then you've got one other project right now that you're about to launch, uh, and I'm not sure I even want to talk about this because it's competition, um, <laughs> but you've got a new podcast coming out, and, and I love this. You, you uh, kind of threw it out there asking for different names, and Brandon Vote uh, came around and said, well, you want to call it the Catholic Podcast. And just like how Catholic Answers somehow swooped in and got Catholic.com, apparently no one thought, hey, let's make a podcast called The Catholic Podcast. And here you are starting on Monday uh, with this brand new show uh, that's, uh, that they can find on iTunes right now uh, by typing in your last name, Heschmeyer. Uh, and if, if you need to know how to spell that, we'll go on Facebook and I will, I will tag him and then you'll know what to search for. So talk a little bit about the impetus for this new show and, and what you hope to do with it. Yeah. So the original impetus, I was sitting down at breakfast with uh, Dr. Troy Hinkle and one of the other members of the team, uh, Frank. And we, we were talking about how we really should be in the world of podcasts and we should really, you know, have something to talk about the faith. You know, we have some incredible resources just with School of Faith of just really qualified people. Mm-hmm. Well, later that day, my friend Chloe Langer, who happens to have audio equipment and does podcasting uh, for the podcast Letters to Women, uh, reaches out and, and wants to know if School of Faith would be interested in doing some commercials for a podcast. And then we end up having a conversation. And um, I don't remember if she or I pitched the idea of doing a podcast together. So I've just sort of started this sort of uh side project that's kind of at the nexus of Shameless Popery, School of Faith, Letters to Women. And it's it's a place where we can just kind of explore um, all of the things that we do. And there's an interesting balance, you know, uh, with a female co-host and a male co-host. Uh, it, it's a different kind of conversation. And some of the topics we cover are a little different. But it's a lot of my bread and butter, a lot of her bread and butter. And then we can have people from School of Faith or wherever Mm-hmm. on the show um, as as circumstances dictate. Or, you know, if someone's got something they really want to share about, this creates a great forum to do that. Um, I find that it, we have a sort of supply and demand problem in two ways. There are a large number of people out there who want good Catholic content. And then there are a large number of people who have good Catholic content to share, mm-hmm. but don't know how to reach the first group of people. Right. So the podcast is one of the ways we're trying to put these two groups of people in touch with one another. Yeah. If you're just joining us today, we're talking with Joe Heschmeyer, blogs over at Shameless Popery, and got a lot going on. Uh, 
last week, Joe, I, I had my uh, my cousin on the show. He's the rector of the Cathedral at St. John Berkman's in Shreveport, Louisiana. And they have this brand new exhibit uh, on the Shroud of Turin. And I thought of you because back in uh, 2015, I think July or June or July of 2015, you had the opportunity to go to, to Turin. You put out a massive Facebook uh, appeal for anyone who wanted prayer said, and then you, you went in and spent time in the presence of the Shroud of Turin itself. So talk to us just a little bit about that experience and, and anything that you took away from that that maybe you weren't expecting. Yeah, you know what? I went in not full-blown skeptic, but at least a little dubious about the Shroud. I'd heard some of the arguments against its authenticity and, you know, wanted to know, like, why wasn't it better supported in the record before? Why don't we have earlier clear evidence on it? You know, a lot of people are are pretty skeptical on it. So I went in with that, at least in the back of my head, um, but wanted to wanted to go to it anyway. I think it was John Paul II who talked about it being a good icon of the faith. Mm-hmm. Like, even if it were a forgery, it would be on the level of like a beautiful painting of Christ in the sense it'd be like a, an amazing depiction of right. the burial shroud. And so even if it weren't actually the burial shroud, I thought, well, at least I can I can go and venerate and as a way of remembering um, Christ's burial and resurrection. But when I got there, it was just totally different. I mean, I was just blown away by it. And when you see it up close, you just think there's no way, like there's just no way this is a forgery. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're looking at like a, a 2D printout version, it doesn't look that impressive. But when you look at the actual real thing, you just think if this were a forgery, the person who did this would be such a masterful painter. They would have no reason to be a forger. I mean, first of all, we're talking about a forger who apparently isn't copying someone else's work. Right. But is brilliantly designing their own so that it looks so authentically uh, like the burial shroud of Christ, that for centuries the greatest experts in the world will be fooled by it. Right, and that person has no need to go into forgery. <laughs> um, right, you know, like if you've got Da Vinci being the forger, or you know, because the the technique would be so incredible. Um, I mean, I'm no expert on this, but you just look at it and think, how would you do that? Mm-hmm. Um, so a few years ago, there was a guy who tried to show that it would be possible. Uh, to do using the techniques available in, I believe it was the 14th century. But his version, it, it looks impressive in its own way, but it just doesn't look, it's it's not the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, like, it looks real, and uh, the spiritual kind of, I mean, the, make of this what you will, but, like, kind of the spiritual certainty when you're right there before the shroud, you're just like, yeah, this is the burial cloth of Christ. Mm. And it was an incredible place to get to pray. Yeah. You, you had a lot of these experiences where you were able, during your time in Rome, to, to visit various shrines, various relics. Uh, we're going to be talking next week quite a bit about relics. Uh, what was, what's the overall experience? You know, here we are in America, and if you don't get a chance to do a pilgrimage, we are removed by space. And so a lot of our faith is really, truly faith. We don't see and hold and and witness these amazing places and these amazing things of the faith. Um, 
by being over there and seeing these relics, by seeing these uh, these icons and these churches and the, the walking in the places where the apostles walked, what did that do for your faith in a way that maybe you couldn't have experienced otherwise? Yeah, um, it, both that and I'd add to it also, the I just got back from a Holy Land trip at the end of last month. Those two things, I think, did the same thing, which is that they made the faith a little more incarnational. Mm-hmm. Uh, that it isn't just, you know, you, you read these stories of the saints or you read these biblical accounts and they're far off places and far off settings. And it's hard to visualize them in anything approaching uh, reality. And a lot of the kind of mental image that at least I have comes from like medieval paintings. So it has this kind of like storybook quality sometimes as a mental image. Right. Being able to be there on the spot and be like, oh, okay, this is what it looks like. You know, you you can see the Appian Way St. Paul takes into Rome because it's still there. Mm-hmm. It, there's no mystery what it would have been like. You can say this is exactly where St. Paul walked. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, obviously some things have changed quite a bit, but especially in a place like Rome where there's more than its share of ruins, you can really get a sense for um, – something of what it would have been like. Yeah, We're talking today with Joe Heschmeyer, and when we come back, we're going to talk about the Lenten practice of examining our sins and ask the question, what's the difference between Judas and Peter, and how can we learn how to address our sin in light of their response? It's going to be a great conversation. Don't go away. There's much more to come. Join us on social media, facebook.com slash stepoutsidethewalls. On Twitter, the handle's at Outside the Walls. We'll be right back right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the foundations and implications of our faith on daily life. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. Here we are in the approaching, the second week of Lent, uh, this time that we are to be examining ourselves and and to see our own weaknesses and our own faults. And uh, it can be easy, I think, to to either say, um, oh gosh, I'm looking at my sin and, and I am wretched and I am awful and I am horrible and just kind of dwell in that and sit there and kind of marinate in Catholic guilt, as it were, without getting the benefit of Catholic guilt, or to go the other direction and say, oh, well, you know, but Easter's coming, and it's all right, and God forgives me, and I don't have to worry about this stuff, and really not own the weight of our sin. And I think that there's a, a, a the, I think the balance is in the middle. The, the virtue is avoiding both of those extremes and walking in a, a place where we recognize our own responsibility for the cross of Christ, and yet are not um, blind to Christ's mercy. And we're talking today with Joe Heschmeyer, blogs over at shamelesspopery.com. Joe, you wrote about this uh, last Lent, uh, coming up onto Holy Week, about what we can learn from Judas, uh, and specifically how Judas's response was different from another sinner that we see there in the gospel, uh, that of Peter. And so, as we're looking to our own sin, 
uh, and and trying to understand and own the weight of that this East, uh, this this Lenten season. Um, what can we learn from Judas? Yeah, I think it's a, a pretty clear what not to do in the face of serious sin. So, I mean, let's let's talk about two different Bible verses and just to kind of paint the picture of Peter's state after he denies Christ and then paint the picture of Judas's state mm-hmm. after he betrays Christ. Uh, so the first one is Luke 22, uh, verses 59 to 62. It says, so after Peter has just said, man, I do not know what you were saying. He's, he's denying that he even knows Jesus. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the cock crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the cock crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Mm-hmm. Okay, clear enough. Contrast that with Judas. This is Matthew 27, verses 3 to 4. It said, when Judas, his betrayer, saw that he was condemned, he repented and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I have sinned in betraying innocent blood. They said, what is that to us? See to it yourself. Mm-hmm. So both of them um, have this real sense of shame and this real sense of guilt properly uh, for what they've done in terms of betraying Christ. And that's an appropriate response to betraying Christ, which all of us do with serious sin. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think of Peter and before the show as I was kind of meditating on this a little bit. Uh, Peter is the one who, at the Last Supper uh, in the garden, said, Jesus, what are you talking about? We, we'll go and we'll die with you. We're, we're, I, I'm, I'm going to fight to the death for this. And, um, and so then they go into the garden and the, the Judas comes and brings the the whole cadre to take Jesus away. And man, Peter's ready. Peter's ready to die with Christ. He pulls a sword and, and cuts off the ear of the high priest servant. And Jesus kind of looks at him and says, what are you doing here? Um, This isn't the way that it's going to go and heals the ear. And I think at that moment, Peter doesn't know what to do because his whole modus operandi is like a hundred percent full throttle. Make sure that, uh, that our goals happen. And he comes face to face with the realization that his goals aren't Christ's goals. And I don't think he knows what to do with himself. And yeah, I think you see a very clear sense of that before, at the end of Matthew 16. So Jesus has just called Peter the rock in which he's going to build the church. And then he tells him about the passion. And Peter, you know, riding pretty high, right. answers one question too many. And says, oh, God forbid, Lord, like, don't worry, we're not going to let the cross happen to you. Right. And of course, Jesus says to him, get behind me, Satan, you're a stumbling block. So he makes a pun on the name he's just given him, that he's both rock and stumbling block. And is Peter not getting that the cross isn't a failure for Christ, but it's what victory looks like? Yeah. So here we are, we're faced with our own sin this Lent, if we're taking the time in silence and in prayer to, to examine ourselves, to use an examination of conscience, not just to give something up for Lent and say, hey, it's kind of a, a thing that we do so that we can be better people, but to really examine our souls, we're going to be faced in some way with our own failure. I mean, it, it's going to happen. 
unless you have already attained sainthood, in, in which case you need to be hosting this show and help me out. Uh, you and I, were going to face this, uh, the, this real realization of our own sinfulness. And so now, how do we go forward and into the path of Peter instead of the path of Judas? We've got this repentance. We recognize our own sin. What's the difference? How do we make this uh, work out for our virtue and our benefit rather than our, our death? Yeah. So if you look at why Peter fell and why Judas didn't come back, it's really the same story. It's a story of self-reliance rather than relying on Christ. So at the Last Supper in Luke 22, Jesus says to Peter, I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you've turned back, strengthen your brethren. But Peter's response is basically to tell Jesus, hey, don't worry about it. Like, <laughs> that's not going to happen, which is outrageous, right? Like, Peter's so overconfident in his own love for Christ that he thinks he's not going to fall. Mm-hmm. And that's how we can easily get. I love Jesus so much. I'll never do that sin that this other person I see is right. doing. And, you know, <laughs> thank you, Lord, that I'm not like this sinner over here. That, right. that kind of mentality. So even when they go into the garden, what happens? Jesus turns to prayer and Peter turns to his sword. Mm-hmm. And so Jesus stands strong. Peter wildly lops off a guy's ear and then runs away and then runs back and then denies Christ. So like Peter's the original stormtrooper. He can't hit his target. <laughs> yeah. Although, <laughs> I'm not sure what he was aiming for, but cutting <laughs> off an ear is just a, it's a, yeah. <laughs> so, but, but he's relying on his own strength. He's so convinced he won't fall. And so of course he falls. Mm-hmm. It's that, you know, that classic pride cometh before the fall sort of thing. But Peter, to his great credit, recognizes this. He goes out and weeps bitterly and then has this moment of real encounter of beseeching the Lord's mercy. So, you know, there's that beautiful scene in John 21 where they're having breakfast. And then Jesus says to Peter three times, do you love me? Mm-hmm. And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And then Jesus says, feed my sheep, tend my lambs, tend my sheep. I love the way that this is written, though. And I I just came across this probably about two years ago. In that reading, Jesus asks Peter, uh, do you agape me? Mm -hmm. And Peter answers, Lord, you know I phileo, I brotherly love you. And so then Jesus asks again, do you agape? Do you unconditionally love me? And Peter says, Lord, you know that I phileo, uh, brotherly love you. And the last time Jesus asks, do you phileo me? And that's when Judas, when Peter is, is pierced to the heart and saddened. And I don't completely understand the full reasons behind the way it was written that way. But, but man, it's really interesting to see that Jesus and Peter, even here, were not necessarily speaking the same language. You, quite literally. I mean, the first question Jesus asks is actually, do you agape me more than these? Mm-hmm. He's asking Peter for a love even beyond what the other apostles have for him because he has a special place for Peter mm-hmm. in the apostles. And Peter, again, to his great credit, like by this point, he gets that his faith, hope, and love are not what he want them, wants them to be. Mm-hmm. He, he's aware of the weakness of his own will and the weakness of his own love for Christ. And so he answers honestly, like, here's what I can give you. <laughs> right. Here, here's what I've got right now. 
And and Jesus responds by saying, feed my sheep. He doesn't say, that's not good enough. I mean, clearly both he and Peter want more than Peter feels like he can give at that point. Right. But that's a process of Peter realizing his own weakness and just constantly like turning to Christ and allowing it to grow. Now, earlier you made the statement, Joe, that both uh, both Judas's repentance and and Peter's beginning started out in the same place of self reliance, and we talked about how that affected Peter. What does that look like in Judas? Well, so the high priests have not been doing a lot of favors <laughs> for Christianity throughout the Gospels. I think that's an understatement, right? But the last piece of bad advice they give is in Matthew twenty seven, verse four. Judas has come in and he's thrown the the coins down in the temple. And in this remarkably cold-hearted response, they say to him, what is that to us? See to it yourself. He's just said, I've betrayed innocent blood. Mm -hmm. And they just shrug it off. It's unpastoral in the modern parlance. Mm -hmm. And they've told him, you know, take care of it yourself. It's that whole like self-reliant kind of attitude that the Pharisees are notorious for. And so Judas can't, like, this is not a thing he can make up. It isn't like he can just get 40 pieces of silver out of his own treasury and somehow buy back Christ from the Romans or somehow make amends for this incredible betrayal. And so he just despairs and he kills himself in a very brutal way. Mm-hmm. But, of course, this wasn't the only option. You know, he could have done like Peter did, just saying, I've broken something that I can't fix. Um, you know, it's, it's the notion that like there are certain things you, we do in this life that we don't have the ability to sort of make amends in a satisfactory way. And offenses to God clearly fall in that category. You know, he created you. He gave you everything. So even if you lived a totally perfect life, you're not giving him anything he doesn't already have. Right. And so every sin you've given him is something that in a way you can't make up for. Because even a perfect score, so to speak, wouldn't be any favor to God. And none of us are getting perfect scores. Right. So now we have it. We've we've faced our sin. We see our weakness. We see our fallenness. How do we escape this trap of self-reliance? How do we, in the midst of, uh, of a temptation to despair this sin... How do we then turn that reliance uh, onto Christ and on his redeeming work? I think it's honestly good to meditate on both Peter and on Judas. You know, if you read the passages about Christ's relationship with Judas, it's clear that he loves him. Mm-hmm. It's clear that he wants him to be saved. Like He, he wants to bring him uh, to salvation And it's Judas turning away from that. He doesn't trust the goodness of God. So I guess if I were to reduce it to one line, is to believe that God is bigger than your sin. Mm -hmm. That it's not that your sin isn't bad. It's that God is better uh, than your sin is. Uh, One of the saints, it might have been St. Therese, or St. Therese of Avila, but I'm I'm blanking right now, uh, describes this in the sense of all of our sins being like a single drop of water and the fire of God's mercy. Mm-hmm. We've been talking today with Joe Heschmeyer. Find out more about him. Go to shamelesspopery.com. Learn about School of Faith, Holy Family School of Faith over at schooloffaith.com. And then now, over on iTunes, 
type in his last name and find the Catholic Podcast, you're not going to be disappointed. Go over to OutsideTheWalls.com, click that Patreon link for more from today's interview with Joe. And don't go anywhere. There's much more to come right after this. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the foundations and implications of our faith on daily life. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. We had a fantastic conversation with Joe Heschmeyer today. Uh, if you missed any part of the show or you want to share it with someone else, have no fear. It's archived along with all of our other episodes over at OutsideTheWalls.com. OutsideTheWalls.com. You can find it there, listen to it, share it on your social media or with your circle of influence. And if you just can't get enough of, uh, of that conversation with Joe, well, don't worry, there's more. Uh, each week we have an extra segment with our guest that is offered to those who support the show through Patreon. Go to OutsideTheWalls.com, click the Patreon link, and see what level you would feel comfortable supporting the show to help us ensure that we can continue to bring you this excellent content week in and week out. Now, in the break there, Joe and I were talking a little bit about the differences between uh, between Judas and Peter a little bit further. And one of the things that struck me comes from the Gospel of Luke. And we mentioned this earlier where it said that uh, immediately the cock crowed three times and Jesus turned to look at him, right? And then that's when he went out and wept bitterly. And the word there in the Greek that's used for uh, Jesus turning and looking at him is not a mere glance, but it is... Uh, turning and gazing upon him, fixing his eyes on him. Uh, one of the translations uh, is to consider him. And there's this sense that Peter was faced in his sin uh, and was put in a place where Christ saw him in his sin. And, and he was able to look in the eyes of the one who he just betrayed. And, and even there was able to see Christ's mercy for him. Whereas Judas was not in a place and did not allow himself to be put in a place where Christ could see his sin and he could see Christ in the midst of that. And so there's a sense of as we are going through this Lenten season that we need to put ourselves face to face with Christ, even as we recognize our weakness. Let him gaze upon us in our weakness and for us to be able to see him uh, in his gaze of mercy toward us. And it's in that process of seeing Christ seeing us knowing full well the worst that we can be and seeing his mercy for us in that moment that allows us uh, to go forward without despair, to go forward into, uh, into his forgiveness and into uh, growing into maturity in Christ. Well, let's turn our attention now to our reading from Scripture and church history, which both uh, touch on this concept quite a bit. Today we're going to start off reading out of the book of Romans, chapter 8, where Paul says, Brothers and sisters, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but handed him over for us all, how will he not also give us everything else along with him? Who will bring a charge against God's chosen ones? It is God who acquits us. Who will condemn? Christ Jesus it is who died, or rather was raised, who also is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us. That reading comes from the book of Romans chapter 8. And, and here we see that because we have supreme confidence in God's goodness, because we know intellectually 
that God has forgiven us, uh, then we can rest assured uh, spiritually that no one else is able to condemn us. Because we, like Peter, stand there looking at Christ gazing upon us in our weakness, now we have nothing to fear. We know that Christ, who died for us, who looked on us in that gaze of mercy, who, who as he spoke of those who crucified him, saying, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do, that we were included in that. Now, because of that, we can, we can have confidence, uh, even to examine our consciences, even to see our weakness, because we know as these things are brought up and as these things are offered to Christ, that in his mercy, he will forgive us and will draw us into further holiness. Because ultimately, that is his whole mission, is to redeem us and then to form us into the image of Christ. Eventually, we're going to be made like him. We're going to look like him. We're going to act like him. And he does that by his kindness. He does that through his mercy, where we see that it's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. And so Lent shouldn't be this time where we are are fearful of what God will do to us, but that we can come in confidence, uh, even as it's uncomfortable to examine our weaknesses, we can come in confidence and offer all of ourselves, including our failings, and give them to Christ for his use and for, for his uh, to be submitted to his will. Uh, our reading from church history today comes uh, actually a little bit later in the week, but it's just so perfect for our reading today. This comes from the Breviary, and it's from the Treatise on the Psalms by St. Hilary. Blessed are those who fear the Lord, who walk in his ways. Notice that when Scripture speaks of the fear of the Lord, it does not leave the phrase in isolation, as if it were a complete summary of faith. No, many things are added to it, or are presupposed by it. From these we may learn its meaning and excellence. In the book of Proverbs, Solomon tells us, If you cry out for wisdom and raise your voice for understanding, if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for treasure— then you will understand the fear of the Lord. We see here the difficult journey we must undertake before we can arrive at the fear of the Lord. We must begin by crying out for wisdom. We must hand over to our intellect the duty of making every decision. We must look for wisdom and search for it. Then we must understand the fear of the Lord. Fear is not to be taken in the sense that common usage gives it, Fear in this ordinary sense is the trepidation our weak humanity feels when it is afraid of suffering something that it does not want to happen. We are afraid or are made afraid because of a guilty conscience, the rights of someone more powerful, an attack from someone who is stronger, sickness, encountering a wild beast, suffering evil in any form. This kind of fear is not taught. It happens because we are weak. We do not have to learn what we should fear. Objects of fear bring their own terror with them. But of the fear of the Lord, this is what is written. Come, my children, listen to me. I shall teach you the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord has then to be learned because it can be taught. It does not lie in terror, but in something that can be taught. It does not arise from the fearfulness of our nature. It has to be acquired by obedience to the commandments, by holiness of life, and by knowledge of the truth. For us, the fear of God consists wholly in love, and perfect love of God brings our fear of Him to its perfection. 
our love for God is entrusted with its own responsibility to observe his counsels, to obey his laws, to trust his promises. Let us hear what Scripture says. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you except to fear the Lord your God and walk in all his ways and love him and keep his commandments with your whole heart and your whole soul so that it may be well for you? The ways of the Lord are many, though he is himself the way. When he speaks of himself, he calls himself the way and shows us the reason why he called himself the way. No one can come to the Father except through me. We must ask for these many ways to find the one that is good. That is, we shall find the one way of eternal life through the guidance of many teachers. These ways are found in the law, in the prophets, in the gospels, in the writings of the apostles, and the different good works by which we fulfill the commandments. Blessed are those who walk these ways in the fear of the Lord. That reading comes from a treatise on the Psalms by St. Hilary. And I think that this really kind of sums up for us what we're talking about today. That as we are approaching this season of Lent and examining our conscience and looking at our weaknesses, that we do so in the fear of the Lord, not in this fear of, of punishment or this fear of the, the disapproving glance of God, but rather that we do so understanding God's loving gaze, right? We, just like Peter, we receive that gaze of mercy even in the depth of our fallenness, and we can trust him enough to then offer that sin to him. We, we know in that moment we know that Christ uh, is, is not out just for our destruction. In fact, he put himself on the cross so that we could be redeemed and restored into relationship with the Father and, and made into his image, that we would be like him. And so even as we look to ourselves and we look to our fallenness, we do so with hope. We do so with the hope that uh, through, uh, through our submission to Christ's loving and merciful gaze, we would be empowered by the Holy Spirit to then live holy lives, that we would walk in his ways because of our own understanding of our weakness. So I encourage you this week to do something uncomfortable, to take some time in silence, and to ask for the Holy Spirit to show you what he thinks of you. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you where maybe you're not quite as strong as you thought you were to ask for the Holy Spirit to reveal to you some aspect of the mercy of God so that you can walk in confidence of God's love for you. As we, as we look to our own fallenness, to those, those familiar sins that we end up confessing over and over again in the sacrament of confession, as we look to those things to focus our attention on the gaze of Christ, not to divert our attention away or to get distract ourselves so that we don't have to see him, but to look up just like Peter and to see the gaze of Christ and to recognize in that gaze his mercy and through that mercy to be empowered to live a holy life. That's all the time we have for this week. Today's episode was brought to you by the Friend Family and all those who support the show through Patreon. Go to Outside the Walls, click that Patreon link and join their numbers and get cool stuff in the process. 
Join the ongoing conversation over at facebook.com slash step outside the walls and Twitter, the handles at outside the walls. And until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.